What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is a place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Wednesday, December 14th. We are in person today. I bet you guys can probably hear it. And that's a good thing because we don't have many of these and we might not have another one of these for a little bit, maybe even until after Christmas. So this this will be definitely a good episode to kind of send off on. Um, we're going to have episodes in, before Christmas, but this will be probably the last one in person until then. So that's pretty good news. I've got Matt sitting right here next to me. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well. I uh, obviously am coming off a monster tuna week on my betting locks of the week. So I gave him out last. And I told him. I told the people. I said, hey, I'm going to go 2-0. and And if I don't, then it's on me. And I would have probably had to owe the audience something. Uh, but I, I promised it and it came through. So hopefully you followed me and made some money. I will say that we recorded the podcast about... It might have even been like less than 24 hours before the Sunday game started. So if you did listen in those 24 hours, you did get rewarded. So how about that? Kind of creating a little incentive there for our audience to listen as quick as possible. I will have more betting locks at the end of this episode. So please listen uh, to uh, to the end of that. Yes, in person today. And then uh, obviously kind of schedule getting a little weird, obviously, with everyone with kind of Christmas coming up and vacations and holidays and seeing family and whatever it may be. I'm going to Disney World this weekend. So from Saturday yes. until next Wednesday, a week from today, I'm pretty much going to be gone driving there. So it's a good 11-hour drive. Uh, leaving Saturday, driving pretty much all Saturday, spending Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday in Disney, uh, and then obviously driving back on Wednesday. So I'm pretty excited for that trip, but that disclosure hopefully is is just in case Maybe Hayden does a solo episode or you don't hear me on the podcast for maybe about a week or so. That's what I'm doing, uh, and I hope that I am able to meet someone there that is, listens to the podcast. Uh, that would be absolutely amazing. Probably not, I'd, but, you know. I That would make me so happy. Like, if I got that text from Matt saying that he met a first-time Rundown fan, I would be ecstatic. I'd be jumping out of my shoes. Well, the best part is the fact that nobody even really knows what we look like because we don't post oh, that's videos true. Yeah, or anything. That's true. So, um, yeah, <laughs> if, I, if I end up like – if someone passes me in conversation and recognizes my voice well enough to know who I am, then uh, I'll be your best friend forever. I yeah, I'm, I might cry. So those of you who live near Disney World and if you know you do, then, yeah, maybe go to maybe go to Disney World and get tickets to a park on Sunday, Monday or Tuesday and you'll maybe see Matt there. So, yeah, probably not. But um, but that being said, I will be doing a solo episode Probably sometime this week. Well, I don't really know. It, it. I might do one Saturday or Sunday or something like that. Today's Wednesday. It's kind of throwing the, the later episode off a little bit because it's kind of in between when we have our early episode and our late episode. Usually we have an early episode around Monday or Tuesday and then we have a later episode around Thursday or Friday or even Saturday sometimes. So I don't know. I'll, I'll probably get – I'll definitely get a, a solo episode out while Matt is in Disney because – I think it's I think it's only right, and I I do enjoy doing. I've actually only done one solo episode, I believe. I think Matt's done three or four. So, uh, and he actually did one when I was in Disney around this time of year last year, which is crazy to think. That's already a year ago, which is pretty nuts to think about. But with that being said, uh, we've got World Cup first here, and then we've got NFL second. We've got two topics for NFL, and then we've got an NHL topic at the end, which I think you guys will probably like a lot. So, with that being said, let's move right into the World Cup. So, the World Cup final is set. We've got France and Argentina in the final. France beat Morocco today. We're recording this probably about five or so, no, probably about three or so hours after Morocco went down to France. And then Argentina beat Croatia yesterday. It's kind of going into the semifinals. These were the two teams that were expected to be in the final, that were expected to win their respective games. So, I guess you could say that we have we have kind of like a true final, but I don't want to say that really because I think a lot of people would have been happy to see Morocco in the final. I think a lot of people would have been happy to see Croatia in the final too, probably less people than those that would have liked to have seen Morocco in the final just because Croatia was in the final last year. I don't know if you guys remember that or, or not last year. I, I, four years ago is what I mean. It's, it's always weird talking about the World Cup because – I want to say last year because you basically for every other sport you say last year in terms of like last season, but the last time the World Cup was played was four years ago, and I always forget that. But 
Yes. Um, we've got France and Argentina in the final. I, I think it's going to be like, in my opinion, I am going to say it, that it is the, I think it's the best competition for the final. We're probably going to see the best soccer out of these two teams that we, that we would have seen or better soccer than we would have seen out of um, either Croatia or Morocco. I'm not trying to diss those teams. I'm just saying that talent wise and from an objective perspective, like these teams came into the world cup expecting to be good, expecting to go far and, they're in the final. So I, th- I think it's only fair to have these two teams in the final. I'm really excited for it. I don't even really know when it's being played. I didn't get to watch the game today either, the the France and Morocco game. I watched every single second of the Croatia and Argentina game. And there was at one point, I think, in the second half, like around the 60th minute, one of the announcers basically said that Argentina had been playing a a perfect game. I Actually, no, I, th- I think it was probably more towards like the 80th minute after they had scored their third goal. And yeah, one of the announcers said that Argentina had basically played the best soccer they had played all tournament so far in which that's this is the time to be playing your best soccer. Let me tell you in the semifinals, um, hopefully they'll bring their A game in the final as well. I think a lot of people are pulling for Argentina at this point, especially because France won the last World Cup. So a lot of people are if you're not French and I don't know if you don't have like some weird connection to France you're probably not rooting for them you're probably rooting for Argentina and Messi because this will be Messi's first World Cup title and this is going to be the last World Cup he plays in so it's kind of like a a good way to send off his career but um yeah I'm, I'm definitely rooting for Argentina in the final I also heard that this is that for Argentina this is a little fun fact so they made it to the semifinals and in the semifinal game the one of the announcers said that this is the this is only the second time that a team has lost their first match. I don't know if you guys remember, they lost their their first match in the group stages against Saudi Arabia, which is one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history. This is the first, this is only the second time in World Cup history that a team that's lost their first match of the whole tournament has made it to the semifinals. And now they're in the final. And it actually might be the first time that, that a team that's lost their first match has made it to has made it to the final. Um, I think the other team was Spain in 2010, which it sounds to me, that sounds like Spain won that tournament. So I'm not completely sure, but I don't know. I mean, Spain in 2010 sounds like a Spanish victory to me in the World Cup. So I, I don't know if Matt can kind of correct me on that, but that's kind of a little fun fact for you for Argentina. And yeah, I'm definitely pulling for them. I mean, yeah, Spain did win in 2010. So that, that would probably be... That probably be it, but but right. I think that's that's a testament to Argentina how they've been playing throughout the World Cup and how they kind of the journey of their team has gone right. Where we see their first game is again, like Hayden said, probably one of the biggest upsets in the history of the World Cup. And now in their pre in their last game, the most recent game they played, they crushed a Croatia team who had really been giving every team that they had played fits right on defense. I mean, it's it's everything like the Brazil game, obviously statistically outlier like. Brazil had, I think, you know, 12 shots on target. Croatia had one, right? And they scored that goal um, in order to kind of, you know, to, to, to send that to PKs and everything. So that's kind of what you're talking about when you, when, you, when you think about the World Cup and how crazy it can be. And we say this a lot. Yes, we kind of, you know, we compare the World Cup to March Madness. You can really compare it to any type of playoff scenario in which it's, it's basically one and done, right? If you lose, you're out. Uh, it's, you know, it's win or go home. And, and so I think that that really kind of, makes you think about these teams equally as if it was, you know, for the people who out there who aren't familiar, as familiar with everyday soccer fans or whatever, comparing it to American sports, especially, you know, football and March Madness, where a lot of times we see the teams that end up winning the Super Bowl or winning, you know, the championship in, in, in March Madness or whatever are teams that not necessarily were the best all season long. It's not like they won the most games. It's not like they had, you know, one great standout player. It's the fact that they were able to kind of come together when it mattered, really gel as a team and score when it mattered, you know, obviously defend like they were supposed to and just make a run and get hot at the right time and, and, and win uh, the championship. And I think that, Interestingly enough, obviously Argentina was one of the favorites coming into the World Cup to begin with, but we saw that kind of transition. I think that obviously they probably came out a little bit sluggish in that game against Saudi Arabia to begin with, just because they they knew in their minds like, okay, well we're gonna we're 
basically, you know, automatically going to win the group anyway. So it doesn't even matter kind of, you know, what the result is in this game. And then they kind of get their, 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 their butts kicked a little bit. Right. And, and they weren't expecting it. And then it's okay. Well, we got to actually, you know, kind of get our head straight on, on straight here and, and, actually start playing as a team performing and, and doing what we were supposed to do and they have done that and so i think that that kind of is really in it really i think signifies what a champion is supposed to be a team that wasn't playing that great to begin with but now has has absolutely turned that around and is playing really well as a team and you know made it to the world cup final on the other side france obviously has pretty much been dominant uh throughout their entire you know, kind of run here to the finale, obviously, you know, kind of the, the biggest game in, in their portion of the bracket was the game against England, in which a lot of people are saying England played better. They were overall the better team. They, you know, they looked more connected. They, they just kind of, you know, they let up a couple goals against France and obviously Harry Kane uh, hit one penalty and then missed the other to, that would have sent it to extra time. And then kind of who knows what happens from there. But again, the results are the results, right? You can't say that England deserves to be in the final, in the, in the final, the World Cup final now, just because they should have played well statistically, or they did play well statistically against France, and then they ended up losing the game uh, in 90 minutes. It didn't even, you know, it didn't even go to a sudden death period. So that I think that was really the only time when France looked a little bit vulnerable. But then the thing too is like. Well, a lot of people were saying, and we even said on the podcast, even when we had uh, Mitchell on here a couple a couple weeks ago, we pretty much said whoever wins the England France game has probably the best chance to win the World Cup outside of kind of your you know well on that at least on that side of the bracket right um, Brazil and Argentina were st- well Brazil was still alive back then and Argentina obviously was still uh, you know kind of the favorites to make it out of their portion of the bracket there but that's what we were saying was like these are two really great teams that are meeting in the quarterfinals and so because of the because of how well both of the teams had played France and England kind of coming into that game as well as what we knew they could do even after they were able to win that game. You know, obviously France beat Morocco today, but, you know, if they played Portugal, I don't think the result would have been any different, right? Like maybe Portugal gets, gets, a, gets, a, gets a goal on the board, but I still think France would have been very much favored to win that game and, and, and probably would have anyway. So I think that was kind of the cool part about this whole thing is that, you know, obviously, right, we have a situation where so much craziness has happened. So many upsets occurred. Obviously, right, Brazil losing as the favorite to, to Croatia was probably the biggest upset in kind of the, the, the outside of the group stage. Obviously, we had Saudi Arabia, you know, win that game. Japan won their group, they, you know, that had Spain and Germany in it. Like so many crazy things happened within the month long period of kind of leading up to the world cup final. But then we get here, uh, you know, the kind of the time that is the world cup final. And we have the two teams that have best represented themselves and who were two of the favorites coming into the world cup. Obviously, you know, France won one last world cup too. So, you know, kind of they're, they're showing, uh, showing what they, that they are meant to be here as well. But that I think is kind of the coolest part to me is like, I believe we do have the two be- the two teams who have been playing the best soccer in the world that are meeting in the World Cup final. I think it's the two best teams overall skill-wise and just the favorites coming in. So I think that's kind of the coolest part to kind of sum this up here now is the fact that, you know, right, we, we had a lot of craziness. We had so many upsets. I mean, obviously, Mar- I didn't even mention Morocco making it to the semifinal, which was obviously crazy in and of itself. And and so all these teams making a run and, and pulling off upsets, it was, it was all great. But, you know, I think now it's almost better because we can say, okay, cool. We saw all the cool upsets and, and little, you know, kind of Cinderella stories, as we like to say in a March Madness context throughout the first kind of month or so here. Uh, but but now we really get the two best teams and, and it's going to decide who wins the World Cup. So I really love how kind of how everything has gone. Um, and, and despite too, because I think I've, I've heard a little bit too about, you know, obviously right Croatia it was a very big upset for them to win and so they got a they got a spot in the semifinals likewise uh, Morocco was a huge upset win over Portugal they got to the semifinals and then I think kind of the two better teams Argentina and uh, and France showed that they were the better teams and they won those games pretty convincingly and so I think that that's kind of what I think you know Hayden was getting to this a little bit is the fact that the games weren't that entertaining. At least the semifinal games weren't. Um, obviously, right. Argentina won three nothing, and then uh, and then France won today two nil. So you you do have that element of okay, great. You know, it's been exciting and, and down to the last minute, and a lot of you know a lot of these games have ended in penalty kicks or extra time or whatever it may be, and then kind of your two semifinal games, which really consisted of two you know one team in each match that was far and above the better team and the favorite to you know kind of win their side of the bracket and definitely one of the favorites to win the world cup overall versus one team on each side which 
was kind of a Cinderella story from the beginning. It was very, you know, they weren't supposed to get to where they had been. They were supposed to lose a lot earlier. They've kind of, you know, put together their team and, and done really well so far. Uh, and we kind of saw that play out, right? The better teams won and, and did what they were supposed to do. So as much as those games weren't as weren't really as entertaining, I think it sets up for the perfect fi- final match, which, you know, hey, I mean, if we have to get through two games in which, you know, the favorites win and, and they kind of blow out the other team, I think that only makes for a better final. So I think it's I think it's going to be really great. And Hayden mentioned that the scheduling wise, I believe it's I believe the final is Sunday in our time, Eastern Standard Time. I think it's Sunday at 9 a.m. It might be Saturday, but I'm pretty sure it's Sunday. Um, and so that'll be kind of the, you know, it's the weekend. Everybody's going to be kind of off school, off work. And and that'll be kind of the perfect time for everybody to come together and, and watch the game to really see who will take it down. Yeah, that's perfectly right. And I one thing that I do want to say about the final is is that while Argentina is playing their best soccer right now, I think France is I think France is kind of like the perfect storm to be able to stop them. I hate to say it, um, but I, I honestly haven't really watched France that much this World Cup. They're like the one team in honestly the all the semifinals and quarterfinals that I hadn't really sat down and watched that much. I've watched like maybe half of one of their games, but um, Argentina I've watched a lot and yeah, like like the announce like I said the announcer said, Yesterday, they just they look like they're playing perfect soccer right now. But um, but I do I think France is they have experience in the the later stages of the World Cup recently or the most recently I guess when compared to Argentina. And so, right when they get to the final, a lot of their guys are going to know what it's going to take to be able to perform in that stage. Obviously, all the stages but leading up to this have been huge, and um, you know the World Cup is the World Cup and even the group stage games are just are so important like each one is so important so everybody's under so much pressure but it is the final it is the championship game so sadly enough i think france probably is the perfect storm to be to be able to take down argentina but if if argentina does win which i hope they do like i said what i don't want to happen is people to to blame it on france not having their you know some of their best players like benzema and paul pogba and everybody like that like i, I don't want people to kind of flip the narrative back on France and say, okay, well, and start making excuses for them and which will kind of overshadow the whole story of Argentina winning it in Messi's last, last world cup. Because I think that basically everybody wants to see Messi win unless you're a Ronaldo fan. That's salty. So um, yeah, I think that, I think that's enough for world cup. Uh, Let's move into NFL now. So it's safe to say that the season is not really going well for Tom Brady. Outside of his personal issues like the divorce and the FTX FTX crash, the Bucks are now in danger of missing the playoffs to the Panthers and the Falcons. I believe that they lost to the Panthers this past week or weekend, and that put them in danger of of losing losing the division to both of those teams. So that NFC South division is actually pretty interesting now, and also. A lot of people since uh, since a, a few years ago when Tom Brady was 38 and everybody was saying that he was going to be or that he was washed up and that he wasn't going to win another Super Bowl. And I think he's won two Super Bowls since a lot of people have learned their lessons since then. So we're not fool enough to doubt Brady again because you never doubt Brady, you never been against Brady. So instead, let's talk about his future with the Bucks and where he might go after this year. There's been a couple of rumors. Where might he go after this year, Matt? If things don't get much better, and what's your reasoning? Well, I'm gonna start off with the backstory a little bit. I think just we, we got to realize that this guy's kind of been through a lot. Now we can kind of say I think that at least what it seems like is the whole Giselle divorce and all of the personal family issues that are going on. Really, I think probably at least from what I know from Tom Brady, which is that he's kind of the ultimate competitor, uh, probably only made it a little bit easier for him to focus on football 100%. I mean, I'm kind of going to go on a limb there and say that, you know, he was probably getting an earful from Giselle pretty much every week that they were still together and during the football season and when he was deciding whether or not he was going to retire or not going to retire, whatever it may be. And now it's kind of that that part of it is, is, is kind of out of the way, right? I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm just saying that they got divorced and that's like, Obviously, right. There was a lot behind that. Okay, fine. But I think that in terms of just being able, being able to perform on the football field and be successful as you know Tom Brady has been over the course of his career, it's probably a better thing to be able to just kind of 100% focus on football, right? But the problem is we haven't seen that really come to fruition. I think we've honestly seen the opposite of that. Like, 
obviously two years ago, the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl in Tom Brady's first year in Tampa Bay. Okay, cool. Last year, they had a really good regular season. I think they won 11 games, um, and they won their division, obviously, and they got you know their home playoff game and whatever. But then they kind of they faced up against the Rams, and they got embarrassed in that game. They were down like three touchdowns. Tom Brady almost brought them back, right? It was a crazy ending. Uh, and, and you lose in the divisional round of the playoffs, you know? Okay, cool. Then you're kind of coming into this year, and you're hearing rumblings about, obviously, the divorce kind of was going on during the offseason, and obviously kind of, you know, shortly after – well, he retired and then unretired, and now he's playing football again. Okay, cool. But then it's kind of comes out that like uh, you know, I think they traded away a couple of their defensive pieces. Uh, guys were guys were kind of hurt, I think too. Well, I think the biggest change, and we mentioned this again, we were mentioned this before uh, on a, on one of the podcasts when kind of the Buccaneers didn't start out too well, was the coaching change. I think that's been the biggest impact here. It is the fact that you have Bruce Arians, who obviously he was with the Cardinals for a while, brought them to a Super Bowl. He won the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay in, in, in Brady's first year, obviously. He's a very offensively minded guy. And, and so there's a you know obviously an offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich, who, who is a good offensive coordinator, but then Bruce Arians kind of being you know he, he was a little bit he would go for it on fourth down and he would you know not not punt the ball all the time or you know he takes shots down the field he was that kind of coach and I think that that's kind of what helped the Bucks, obviously um in 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 their championship run there uh and then obviously last year again you kind of have a fluke loss to uh to the eventual Super Bowl champion Rams well then Bruce Bruce Arians basically leaves the team, and a lot of people said that it was Tom Brady who didn't agree with Bruce Arians or didn't like the way he executed his calls or that the way that he called the game or that he would make last-minute decisions. Maybe he didn't let Tom Brady do as much as Tom Brady wanted to do, right, on his own, making audibles, all that kind of stuff. And then we hear that it's just kind of like, okay, well – the front office was basically like, yeah, sure. You know, whatever Tom Brady says we're going to do. And so they essentially kind of force Bruce Arians to step down. I think he's still some sort of like liaison within the front office there in Tampa, but definitely not the head coach anymore. Not really on the field with the guys during the game. And we've seen a significant drop off in production from this Bucks offense. I think the defense is, is okay. Right. I mean, obviously they looked horrible against the 49ers in their past game here, but they're not that great. Right. Um, and, and I think that, the coach that they kind of hired to replace Bruce Aaron's guy named Todd Bowles. Now Todd Bowles is known for being a great defensive mind in the NFL, right? And he's been a great defensive coordinator, multiple places that he's gone. And he's also had another head coaching opportunity. That was with the New York jets. I think he led them to like in his first two years there, they went 11 and five, both years. I think they made the playoffs one year and missed the, or made the playoffs both years missed and then like lost the first game of the play. I don't know exactly what it was, but his tenure with the New York jets started out really good and then kind of just tailed off and they started doing really horrible. And that led into this pretty much 10-year run of them being horrible, right, until kind of this season where they popped up a little bit here. Uh, so so Todd Bowles, obviously, right, so that he, he kind of gets fired as the Jets head coach. Okay, cool. Then he goes to the Bucks, and he was their defensive coordinator, and he's been there ever since, right? And he that ferocious Bucks defense that took the, tore up Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl that year, that was Todd Bowles, right? That was the guy behind all that. So you kind of look at this and you think, well, this guy should be great, especially because you kind of have him focusing on the, on the defense while you have Byron left which who's been the offensive coordinator there ever since Tom Brady got there and then you have Tom Brady as your quarterback which is the best blessing that anyone could ever have what can go wrong well it kind of just doesn't really seem to be fitting um I don't know what the exact problem is but I think that just the coaching changes or the shifts or whatever it just didn't really work that well and obviously they've suffered injuries that I think in their Super Bowl run they didn't really have any injuries and I think that was kind of the, the overwhelming story that came out of there so the question becomes and as Hayden asked me you know what does Tom Brady do from here obviously as Hayden also alluded to, you know, we're not going to make this mistake again to be like Tom Brady just needs to retire because clearly this guy is uh, some sort of robot and is going to be able to play until, you know, the year 2075. So the whole retirement thing is out of the question. Maybe he will, right? Maybe he will. But I think that, and, and as we kind of learn more about the story with his divorce with, with Giselle, it was more kind of his family, well, his, you know, his wife and his family, whatever, putting pressure on him to retire because they wanted him to spend more time with them. They wanted him to not, you know, kind of run his body into the ground by continuing to play in the NFL for however many more years. Well, now, again, like I said before, all that stuff is, is kind of in the past right now, right? Like he's, he's kind of just able to fully focus 100% on football. He doesn't have anybody in his ear telling him you need to retire or else you're going to die. Uh, and so, you know, Tom Brady being the guy that he is, like I said, the ultimate competitor, he's going to continue to play football. So the question isn't, you know, should Tom Brady retire, which I think a lot of people will talk about. The question is, 
do you stay with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or do you go to another team? And I think you go to another team. Now, the team that you go to is kind of where this gets a little bit interesting. People have said, oh, well, he's going to go back to the Patriots with Bill Belichick. You know, they've been complimenting each other so much ever since they left each other. And despite the fact that I think they had some sort of issues when when Tom Brady originally left New England. He kind of found that, okay, yeah, I had this one magical year in Tampa Bay in my first year here, and I can win a Super Bowl. And then he learned that he's not invincible. He has the playoff loss last year in the divisional round, and then this year they have a losing record and might not even make the playoffs, right? Um, I think that he knows now, okay, well, everything that I had with Belichick, like, we can kind of run that back and do it again. It might not end up in a bunch of Super Bowl wins, but hey, why not try again? So that's an option that's being floated out there. And the second one, which I think is probably the more likely and would be really cool to see, and I can't even imagine if this would actually happen. Um, well, I can imagine it happening. I just can't imagine what the team would be like if this actually happened. Is Tom Brady going to the 49ers? I mean, are we kidding? Like, what are we doing right now? If that happens, like, they're going to win the Super Bowl for as long as Tom Brady plays, <laughs> um, which is, you know, obviously however long more. Uh, and I think kind of the main reasoning for that is that like the 49ers, obviously, as you can see, just week in and week out, are the one team that is essentially a quarterback away. Now, obviously, too, their their offense is much more predicated on the run game, and they don't rely on the passing game too much. But when you have a guy like Tom Brady, he can kind of fit wherever. Like he doesn't, he knows that in that offense, he wouldn't have to do as much. And that was always the thing in in, in New England too. Was yes, he had those amazing games where he would have 500 yards passing and four touchdowns, and he would be the you know everyone's savior. But Really, especially at the end year and there, like when the Patriots won those last two Super Bowls, they were primarily a running team. They would always find running backs out of the blue and they would be amazing. And so they would run first and pass later. And and, and Tom Brady got all the credit because he would make the passing plays that made, you know, the biggest plays and, and the ones that mattered the most. But when you think about it, really, like that is a run first offense. And Bill Belichick is a very simple guy. Well, He's, he's a very smart guy and a very complicated guy when it comes to his schemes and everything, but like st- foundational football stuff, he, he's a run-first guy, as are the 49ers uh, behind the offense of Kyle Shanahan. So I think that that all kind of combined together, it would be really cool if, if, if Brady was to join the 49ers. Obviously, it might mess with his kind of – I think that that was part of what the Bucks issue was, was that he wanted to be kind of – he wanted to do everything. Every play was was him. Every decision was him. Every throw was him. Whereas in, in that 49ers offense, you're really kind of limited to what you can do as a passer, and you kind of have to just flow with the offense. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, if the guy just wants to continue to play football at the highest level and win Super Bowls, like, I think the 49ers are probably the best chance he has. Yeah, I I don't know about the 49ers. I think if, if anything, he either stays in Tampa Bay or he goes back to New England. I can't really see him going to the 49ers, and I think Matt made a good point with the whole offense type thing. He's going to want to control more than he will be able to in San Francisco, and even though that is, and that I don't know if Matt said this, but the whole reason why we say why the 49ers is really the only other option other than Tampa Bay is because that's where he's from. He's from San Francisco originally, so it would be kind of like a homecoming, but also not really because he spent his whole career in New England, so... I can't really see him going to the 49ers. I I understand why people are saying that, but I think that people are also just saying that just because it's his hometown and but he doesn't really have a connection with them past really I mean really past his high school days, I guess. So it's it I don't know, it doesn't really make much sense for him to go back to or go to San Francisco, not back to San Francisco. I think it does make a lot more sense for him to go back to New England, but I this is the, my one worry with this is Mac Jones, and I'm a Patriots fan, so would I love to see Tom Brady come back to New England? Of course, I would. I I don't really care about Mac's feelings, but I know that Mac cares about Mac's feelings, not Matt. I Mac, Mac Jones. I'm going to refer to him as Mac Jones, so we don't get mixed up with Matt here, but um. Yeah, Mac Jones, I know he cares about his feelings and he cares about his career. He cares about developing himself because he knows that at the, I mean, at this point not everybody's Tom Brady and probably nobody's going to play to the age of 46, right? For at least for a long time. Mac Jones isn't probably going to play probably isn't going to play until 46. So every year counts for him. And so my worry with Mac Jones is something's going to happen with him where if Tom Brady does come back or if there are talks of Tom Brady coming back, Mac might request a trade or something like that before he even comes back, right? Like, like, cause he's going to know he's most likely going to know before everybody else does. And before the public does, he's probably going to know, okay, well, if Tom Brady is coming back, I need to go somewhere else because he knows that he has a lot of starting potential in the NFL. He still has some things to clean up, 
but he's proved himself as a starter for a New England organization who just came off of having possibly the best dynasty ever when Tom Brady was there. So every team knows that Mac Jones is a starter and I, and Mac Jones knows that he's a starter. And so I think if Tom Brady comes back to, to New England, it's going to stir the pot a lot there. And I don't know how long Belichick has left either. He might be kind of nearing his end, but I don't know, man. Like a, a lot of people said that Tom Brady and, and Belichick would kind of retire together. Like once, basically once they stopped playing together, they would retire because they knew that they wouldn't be able to do as well with anybody else. And, this might be in the works in order for that to happen. Like Tom Brady might be planning to go back to New England. There might have been a plan for this to happen basically ever since his first year in Tampa Bay to go back to New England. I'm not going to throw this conspiracy theory out there because I don't think that this is completely true. But, I mean, we, we, we saw what happened with the Dolphins, like the story about the Dolphins with Tom Brady and the Dolphins back in, uh, back in the offseason. So if something like that is possible, I think something like this is very possible where – the New England Patriots almost had this planned out, maybe not from the beginning, not from like right when Brady left, but maybe Brady and Belichick are both still coaches and players because they are planning on retiring together um, out of New England. I don't know. That's maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I think that that would be really cool. But again, my only worry here is is Mac Jones and how he's going to feel about that because he knows that he's a, he's a, a bona fide starter in the league and how is he going to feel if Brady comes back to New England? Yeah, very valid concern, and, and it would be interesting to see if any other team would want to kind of pick that up because you got to think, too, he's still on a rookie deal, right? So Mac, Mac Jones, his contract is still cheap. He was drafted in the first round, yes, so you're still paying a little bit more than if he was, you know, some sort of third-round pick or whatever. I mean, we, we talked about Jalen Hurts last episode. Jalen Hurts is an absolute steal right now. I mean, the guy is probably going to win the win the MVP on a rookie contract. Like, that's insane. I mean, that's, you know, Lamar Jackson-level stuff. So – there, there's options there, I think, for Mac, for Mac Jones kind of to be picked up by, by someone else. But the other thing, too, is, like, has Mac Jones really shown – yes, I think he's a starter, but, you know, how much has he really been able to, to I think, show that he has star potential? And, 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 again, maybe that a lot of that is because he's kind of limited in this Patriots offense. And a lot of people, too, have said how – crazy and insane it is and we talked about it on the podcast even before the, before the season started that Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are running the offense in New England and it's like what 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 are we what are we doing they talked about it on the Monday night uh, football game against the Cardinals this past weekend uh, or this past Monday and and basically they got a, a statement from Belichick who was basically like they're good football coaches in general so they can be good at coaching anything at football and it's like yeah but you got to think like football is the most popular sport in America and there's so many coaches who are qualified to do that, who like obsess over their jobs and do the best possible thing they can. Like you could probably find people who are offensive specialists to do this stuff, but who knows? Um, and again, I, I'm not one to question Bill Belichick after all that he's won and, and all that success that he's had. So hey, maybe it'll work out at some point. Uh, so we, we, I guess we kind of have to wait to find out there. So meanwhile, on the other side of this coin, we've had recent reports uh, come out saying that the Lions plan to keep Jared Goff as their long-term guy. Many were questioning Detroit for taking a chance on Goff in the first place, but he's proved a lot, uh, a lot of the haters wrong, and then some. Uh, so kind of the question becomes, what's our evaluation of Goff this season? What do we think may have gone wrong uh, with, when he was with the Rams for him to kind of look so mediocre there and then kind of be sparking out of nowhere here uh Hayden what are your take on on Jared Goff with the Lions obviously his what do you think is going to happen or do you think he's still going to continue being this good a and then b you know what do you think of the Lions decision to keep him long term yeah I've heard some people say that this is kind of an overreaction that the the Lions basically coming out and saying that Goff is their long-term guy is just an overreaction because of the last two last few weeks I don't think so I think Goff is really proved himself with the Lions especially this year because okay you have to kind of take this all in obviously golf was with the Lions last year as well so this is his second year in Detroit and you had all the success with Matthew Stafford in LA last year so I, th I think a lot of people are kind of trying to trying to compare the Lions to the Rams which let me let me just sink that let me just let that sink in a little bit what I just said was people are trying to compare the Lions to the Rams okay the Rams, when Matthew Stafford went to the Rams and Jared Goff went to the Lions, you could probably say that the that the Rams were already probably like a top five team in the NFL. The Lions were were a bottom five team in the NFL, probably the worst in the team in the NFL at that point, right? 
So we, you can't compare those two teams at all from last year. You can't sit here and say that the Rams still won that trade because they won a Super Bowl their first year with Matthew Stafford. You know, that, that was like the best trade ever. I think that a lot of people kind of realize that and, and realize that the Rams had so many weapons on their team already and they gained even more throughout the season with Odo Beckham and, and Von Miller that, yes, the, the Rams had so much going for them already that Matthew Stafford, who is a great – I'm a huge Matthew Stafford fan. Um, I've – surprisingly recently I've talked to many people that – um, that aren't that basically think that Matthew Stafford is not good at all and that he just works well in a good offense. I don't know how you can say that when he worked with almost nothing in Detroit and was still producing some of the highest numbers each year. But anyway, I'm not going to go into that conversation today because we're talking about Jared Goff. And I think that what went wrong with Goff in L.A. was that he was kind of limited. And and this is a little bit of uh, of kind of what we were talking about with the 49ers, right? We said that Tom Brady probably, or I said that Tom Brady won't, probably won't go to the 49ers because he'll he'll probably be limited in that, in that offense. He probably won't be able to make much of the decision-making because we know that the 49ers and the Rams offenses are both heavily focused on their head coach and what their head coach wants to happen. For, forming the play, kind of motion, a lot of motioning. It's kind of like that West Coast offense type deal. Um, you've and you got a lot of ground and pound as well in in that offense. I think the the Rams have gone more to a passing game at least this year um, because their running game has been well. Their running backs have just been kind of lackluster um, ever since last year. But like, I think what we're starting to see with with Jared Goff is that he's able to do more of what he was able to do in college and. I don't know if you guys know, but Jared Goff was the first overall pick of, I don't know, the 2016 draft or something like that. So, like, he, he's a good football player. He, he went to Cal, and he was, he's, he's an amazing football player. So, like, I don't – and we've seen number one picks in the draft before just flop, and I get that. Like, that, that happens sometimes. But I think what a lot of people are forgetting was that Jared Goff didn't really have much of a choice of what he was doing in L.A. And, that, and and for some guys, that's that's like a really part big part of their game, a.k.a. Tom Brady. You let Tom Brady t- take control of a game, and he's he's going to lead you to a win. I'm not saying that, that Jared Goff is Tom Brady. I'm not even putting their names in the same field, okay? I'm not saying that Jared Goff is going to become Brady-esque. But what I'm saying is that, like, I think Jared Goff has a lot more freedom in this Lions offense. And it I, I think that a lot of the credit does have to be credited to Dan Campbell as well for changing the culture there. Because it seems like their whole team is just better overall. Um, but I, I do think that Jared Goff is a good leader. He's got really good quarterback skills that kind of the intangibles that you that you can't really see on tape. He's got a, a lot of a lot of those qualities where if his guys start to believe in him, he's gonna he's gonna do well and he's gonna perform well. So um, he also just got Jameson Williams back, so I think that's a huge help. And I think that their offense is just gonna be is probably gonna prove to be one of the best still for the rest of the season. Uh, that's also kind of a big question: is like, is they're gonna are they gonna be able to keep the success up? I think they will be. It's just it's still that defense, and I think that we've said it before on this on this podcast, but like the defense has talent. They just haven't really been that consistent. But I think that they also have one of the best O-lines in the league, and that's also probably contributing to, to Goff's success. But I think Goff is – I think he is the answer. I, I think if you look at this season and you look at the improvement that he's made from this season compared to last season, and you say, okay, well, even though it's the same quarterback, there's been something that's changed. And on an NFL team, the quarterback is, is the most important position, and that – that can't be debated. And so I think you look at this and you say, well, it's, it's got to be at least credited, credited to golf in some way. And I think that, I think that golf is, is probably responsible for more than a lot of people think that he is. Um, because again, we don't really see much like he's, he's not like a big media guy and we don't really see much from him because of how lackluster he's been in, in past years. But, uh, but I think here going forward, I think that we'll see golf definitely continue this. It's just such a tough or not tough, I guess, interesting Situation. It's an interesting dichotomy uh, of a dynamic going on here with with Jared Goff and just his career in general, kind of. So, right, Hayden talked about with the Rams. He was limited, yes, uh, but they got to a Super Bowl, okay? So as much as, yes, he was limited and he wasn't, you know, expected to be throwing the ball 50 yards downfield and 
all kind of the stuff that he's doing with the Lions right now, throwing, you know, 50 passes a game, 300 yards a game, three touches. Sure. But at the same time, you know, it's it's Sean McVay's offense. And Sean McVay has proven, if anyone, that his offensive schemes work. He took Jared Goff to the Super Bowl. That whole Rams team got there really before they were supposed to and then, you know, lost in a clunker of a Super Bowl to Tom Brady. What was it? 13-3, thir- I think, was the final score of that Super Bowl. Jesus. But then, obviously, we saw that Sean, v- Sean McVay did it, did it again. He did it last year. He had Matthew Stafford. In the first year that he had Matthew Stafford, he, he won a Super Bowl. And so that tells me, at least, that if Matthew Stafford, and again, Hayden mentioned Matthew Stafford's one of the best quarterbacks. He's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. So he's one of the best quarterbacks that ever really, you know, played the game. He, he, he's not a Tom Brady, but he's a really, really good quarterback. If he's able to come into that offense and in the first year win a Super Bowl, that tells me that Jared Goff might not have been the guy, right? Or that he could have been the guy and he just didn't develop enough to where he was a veteran quarterback in the NFL capable of leading a team to and winning a Super Bowl. That, that, which I think is true, right? And so now we have him on the Lions and he's doing very well. He's succeeding with the Lions. He's doing great. Fine. And so I think that what we've experienced here is quite literally he was drafted to the Rams to be their star quarterback. Now, he was also drafted to the Rams so that he could run Sean McVay's system, which he did very well. Again, like I said, they went to the Super Bowl. And I think he went to the playoffs every year that he was there, uh, maybe except for one year. I think out of the four years that he was there. So, so sure, you know, you end up having kind of that that time period where – He's a little bit young still. He's still developing in the NFL. And maybe it was Sean McVay's fault in the beginning to even draft him and ex- expect him to come out and win a Super Bowl, you know, kind of right away. Well, who knows, right? But he's been in the league now for six years. And I think that's probably kind of the time period at which a lot of these quarterbacks f- kind of just figure it out, right? You've been there long enough. You've seen enough. You've gotten good experience. You know, and, and playing for multiple teams, I think, also helps. Coaching styles, you know, coordinators, offensive schemes, whatever it may be, just locker rooms, players, whatever. That helps a quarterback develop. That helps with your ability to say, okay, you know, like, Really just understand the game, understand what's happening, understand the speed of everything, what you're supposed to be doing in the context of an offense and, 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 a, and a system that may be very complicated, but, you know, you kind of, you're able to control that as the quarterback. Hayden mentioned too, right, the quarterback is the most important position on the field. And so that's, I think, kind of what happened here. Why I think it's very interesting is the fact that Sean, or, um, Jared Goff had so much, so much success in his early years, but it was almost like his success and, and Hayden kind of made this point really, I guess first, but it was, it was, and I'm not saying necessarily that he wasn't able to be this good of a quarterback because he was limited by Sean McVay's offense. I think that Sean McVay's offense elevated Jared Goff to more than what he was going to be able to, more than what he would have been capable of doing by himself. Right. So if he had been drafted to the lions and played there his entire career right now, I think he would probably be exactly where he's at right now. Anyway, I don't think that that whole you know, being limited to like, I don't think he would have popped earlier than and doing what he's doing now. I think that he's been in the league for six years. He's a veteran quarterback at this point, and he's learning how to, he's learning how it works. He's learning how football is played and he's, and he's doing pretty well at it. Right. And that's not to say that, you know, if he stayed with the Rams, he wouldn't have been doing this well too. Cause that's also the thing is at his, at the end of his tenure with the Rams, it was looking like he was kind of not going to have really an opportunity to be a starter in the NFL again. I think he only got that chance simply because the Lions traded Matthew, basically just swapped Matthew Stafford with Jared Goff uh, for the, with the Rams. And then it was kind of like, okay, well, the Lions were like, well, what do we do with Jared Goff? I, you know, whatever. Till we find a quarterback that we want to draft, we're just going to keep him. And now it's like, well, he might be the long-term guy. Well, I think it's just because he's kind of just learned how to play the position a little bit better. So it's just, it's still so crazy, the dichotomy here of like, he had success in his early years because Sean McVay was kind of there coaching him in his ear every play. And that, too, I think very definitely contributed to it. That's what people said is that apparently Sean McVay is such a – I mean, obviously, he's a brilliant offensive mind. From what he's done, like, he's proven it, right? And he's still – the craziest part is, Hayden, I don't know if you know this, Sean McVay is the youngest coach in the NFL. Uh, what? Yeah, like, I know. How, what? So he's a, he's a really smart guy. He's a really great coach, and he deserves to be there. But I think he's a little bit of a micromanager, too, to the point where he tells the quarterback, like, up until the last second that he's allowed to talk to the quarterback inside his helmet, 
what he should be looking for, what his reads are going to be, what the play is going to, how the play is going to unfold. And I think that also could have very, very well limited Jared Goff in his kind of the way that he was able to understand the game. He was limited in his being able to basically just mess up, figure it out, and move on, and then just kind of, you know, be able to find success from there. Instead, he was micromanaged to a point where well, he wasn't really allowed to to make mistakes and, and, and learn from them if he did or whatever because it was kind of just coming from Sean McVay 100% of the time. So maybe, you know, now that he's out of that system, he's been able to blossom a little bit more. He has made some some mistakes. I mean, their season was horrible last year. They were 2-7, and 2-15, I think. Uh, and, and so you, you're going to have some slip-ups there. But I think this year, obviously, kind of a turning point here. Um, it's just the fact that the, the funny part is, like, Will he ever even come close to the amount of success that he had when, when he was with the Rams? Probably not, right? That's that's the unfortunate reality of this whole thing is like, sure, he might be a, you know, a lifelong quarterback, but like he's never I don't I mean, again, I I, I wouldn't even really consider this a hot take because it's it's so hard to win a Super Bowl anyway. Like in in Jared Goff's entire career, I don't think he's going to win a Super Bowl, right? And he had a chance to win when he lost it by 10 points in, I think, his second year in the NFL. And that's the crazy point, I think, here is that, like, obviously we're talking very macro now. Um, but he may be the guy for Detroit, but, like, are they going to get to a Super Bowl? Probably not. So I think it's just kind of the interesting back and forth there of, like, hey, you know, he maybe he is really kind of the, the, the person um, that should be there. But maybe not because he also hasn't really had much success beyond, I think, or maybe he doesn't have really a chance to be, have success beyond what he did. Um, with the Rams. One more thing I want to say before we move into NHL here is is I kind of agree with that with Matt. Like I think that that's probably the best way to put it is yes, he's having a lot of success with the Lions, but it's it's also all kind of amplified by what they have been for the past. I don't can't even like begin to comprehend how long they've been bad, but. Right, like it, I guess it kind of is amplified. They only, I still, I think they still only have like five or six wins this this season, and they're still gonna finish under five hundred most likely. So, right, like, they're, and they're not gonna make the playoffs. So, why are we even really talking about this? I think, I think looking forward into the years to come, like if and they have they have a lot of draft picks from the from the Rams, which are gonna be real. I think, I mean, we've talked about this. I think we talked about this last episode. I, they're probably going to have two first round picks this uh, at least her two first round picks this coming draft. So if they use those wisely, like they, I mean, they could get some great rookies. Like they, they got Aiden Hutchinson and Jamison Williams this past um, this past year. They could get some more great rookies and really have like a really young team that's pretty decent. And then Jared Goff could kind of be that veteran leader at this at that stage in his career because I feel like he could be considered as that even maybe even now he can kind of be that veteran leader to kind of like be able to, to, to rally up everybody on, on that team. And I think that this Lions team is, is I think one of the, like one of the things that we have to look at the most is this Lions team really could be one of the fastest turnarounds and like one of the most drastic turnarounds we've seen by any team in, in a, in a pretty long time. So that does it for NFL. And we're going to move into our last topic NHL right now. So there's been a little bit of controversy recently with uh, Alex Ovechkin and the Capitals because the Capitals, if you've been watching their games recently, they're basically just trying to stat pad the crap out of Ovechkin so that he can approach the all-time goal scoring record faster and faster. So right now, Ovechkin sits at uh, third place. He's behind Gordie Howe and... The great Wade and Gretzky, obviously. So Wayne Gretzky sits at eight eight hundred ninety four goals. I'm pretty sure, and then uh, Gordy Howe sits at eight oh one. And then currently, again, this is Wednesday night. Uh, Ovechkin sits at eight hundred. So he had a hat trick last night. He only had like five shots on goal. I think he made three out of his first four shots, which was crazy. So he had a hat trick last night, which put him at eight hundred, which is pretty cool to see. I actually, this is, this is a pretty cool fact. I am going to the Capitals and Stars game tomorrow night, uh, Thursday night, December 15th. And so I may see Ovechkin either tie or pass Gordie Howe in all-time goals. And I may, him, I may see him either get tied for a second or get the, sec- the second place all to himself for goals scored, which would, honestly, that's going to be pretty cool. But, uh, but yeah, I got tickets for pretty cheap, and I'm going with a couple buddies. So it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a fun time. But the topic here is... Is basically like, do we think that 
the the Capitals basically just stat padding him. Do we think that it's kind of cheesy? Like, do we do we think that it's not really practical? Like, should they actually be doing this? Is it unethical in any way, or is it fine? Because I'm gonna put, I'm gonna throw out two stats here. I'm gonna I'm, then I'm gonna hand it over to Matt Ovechkin. Over the past five games, has has averaged six shots. I think I think he's had thirty shots over the past five games, which is very very high. I mean, if, for Ovechkin usually has about like four ish shots on on goal. I would I would say that's usually where his like over under line is set on most betting sites. Um, but for most guys, like their shots on goal projection for a game is usually sitting around like the two range. So Ovechkin is basically tripling what everybody else is, is expected to get. And they're winning. I think they've won their last five games. So that stretch where he's averaged six shots on goal per game, they've won every single one of those games, which is crazy. So I'm going to hand it over to Matt here. Do we think that the Washington Capitals sat padding Ovechkin is is good or bad? I think it's kind of the only thing going for them right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's 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 one of those situations where, yeah, I mean, you know, they obviously they won the Stanley Cup, I think, in 2018. Uh, it was amazing. You know, he finally got it. He was a Hall of Fame player before that even happened, and then not only solidified his Hall of Fame uh, designation once that happened. Okay. So, but now they, they've kind of been a couple of years, they've been in this range where, well, I guess even before they won the Cup, the, I think maybe even three or four years, like in a row, they won the President's Cup like almost like I think three or four times in a row and then would lose in the first round of the playoffs every single year. And then that one year they won the cup, they kind of barely got in by the skin of their teeth and then made a huge run and, and actually won it. So you kind of have all that going for them in in the past, I guess, four or five years. Well, since then it's kind of been a lot of nothing. They've made the playoffs a couple times. They missed the playoffs. I think one time, but, and they haven't really gotten that far. Right. So, so it's nothing, nothing that's been extremely exciting uh, for, for kind of the overall mojo of this team since really they won the Stanley Cup in, in, in the 2018 season. However, we still have to kind of think back here that, like, this is this is history. I mean, Hayden said it, right? He, he, he's third in the all-time goals list. He's going to be second. The question is, is he going to be able to pass Wayne Gretzky? Now, obviously, he needs to get a lot more goals to be able to pass Wayne Gretzky. And it doesn't – it sounds like – it doesn't sound like very much, but when you consider how many goals are scored in, in a hockey game and, like, how many – that uh, how many can be scored by one person like it, it, it the math on it really kind of takes a perspective when you look at it big picture right because we think about it for, with touchdown passes in the nfl where it's like oh patrick mahomes is on pace for you know 55 touchdown passes uh you know he can he can get 98 touchdown passes or whatever and you know in a couple of years and he'll break that record it's a lot different in hockey with goals specifically so that's kind of the first thing the second thing is right the pat statting or the pad stat Pad stat. What the heck? Stat padding. Stat padding. <laughs> Why is that a term? Jeez. Um, shout out Russell Westbrook. But anyway, so I think that that's, that's the thing that we're trying to talk about here is like, you know, is this right? What's they be doing? Again, like I said, I, they're not really going to win the Stanley Cup this year. They're not going to be the worst team this year. And I think for all that Ovechkin has given to this franchise over the course of, what, 20 years, I think his career has, la- has lasted – he kind of deserves to be able to get this. Now, the other thing I will say, because then what people say a bit, and I've heard these arguments, it kind of, it, that this is the main argument that I think kind of everything comes up to, um, is, is the fact that like, they're doing this on purpose so that he can get the record. It's not that he's a great hockey player. He's earning all the goals. And, you know, if he passes Wayne Gretzky along the way, then so be it. It's, it's more like an almost forceful, push by the organization for him to be able to score these goals so that he can become the all-time goal scorer and he's like like he's getting put out there purposefully at the end of games that they're up by you know one or two goals where the other team will, will go empty net and then he just gets empty net goals and it's like that's that's about as stat padding as you can do in the nhl right but here's the thing and here's kind of the i think the, the thing that that really summarizes all of this and and we'll put it into perspective is the fact that well, actually, Hayden, look up when when Wayne Gretzky played because I know it was a very long time ago, and it was he played again. He played for a while, and he was the best hockey player of his generation, like bar none. It was like one of those things where it didn't. It was, it was so far. We don't even have an example of it. I think in today's sports, like modern sports, it's like it, it's he's he was better than LeBron, you know, in in hockey standards just for the amount of dominance that he had. It was just crazy. So Hayden, when 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 did he play? Um, he played from 1976 to 1996, so basically right. 20 years. Okay, so 20 years. So that's about as long as Ovechkin did. Now, 
We always say that, and especially when we did, going back to LeBron, we had the LeBron versus um, LeBron versus Jordan debates, right? Of, okay, well, who was better, LeBron or Jordan? And pretty much the overwhelming argument was, well, LeBron is better because, or the people who argued for LeBron said, LeBron is better because he's now playing against the other best athletes in the world. All, you know, there's a lot more people on earth. The, you know, the competitive nature of these games has gotten insane. The, the obviously the amount of money that they make has, has risen exponentially since obviously, well, in comparison to when Michael Jordan was playing. And so everything is, is, is like notched up by a hundred percent. Okay. The same is true. I think for this hockey thing where, okay, like, Yes, Wayne Gretzky is the best ever. He's best. Of, he's the best to ever do it, and he has the goal record. And and Ovechkin probably won't even pass him because at this point Ovechkin's played just as long as Gretzky, and he has almost a hundred less goals than him. So clearly Gretzky's going to have the record. And I don't think that Ovechkin's going to pass him. But even if they do, and even if he somehow plays for another five years or eight years, and he's able to pass uh, Gretzky and, and get the get the goal record and whatever. He played in a time in this 20-year period where the NHL has exploded, right? I mean, it used to be, and the, the saying always is, the, the guys in the olden days played against plumbers. And the joke behind that is the fact that essentially playing in the NHL or the NBA was kind of these guys you know, hobbies, basically. It was, it was kind of their second job. They were, they had a day job and they worked at, and then they didn't get paid very much by the, you know, by the league and the associations. So they would have to, so they would kind of play this on the side and they'd be paid a little bit and, you know, they kind of get by. That's the era that Wayne Gretzky played in. And, and Alex Ovechkin is playing in the most competitive era of, of, of any, in hockey in general. And the NHL is the most competitive hockey league in the entire world. That's why we see so many people from Canada, from Russia, you know, these great hockey countries they come to the NHL and they play hockey here because it's the best hockey league in the world. So he's not only playing at the, against the best competition in the world in the most famous league in the world, but he's also playing in an era where hockey is a lot more popular. It's on TV. It's everybody, you know, people care about it. It's, it's, it's a lot more popular than it was, you know, back in the day when Ryan Getzky played. And so, you know, if, if you want to call me a, uh, a sellout because I think that the modern player is better than the older player, then that's fine. Again, like I said, I don't think that Alex Ovechkin is going to reach Wayne Gretzky's record. And I think that Wayne Gretzky for what he was in the time that he played is still the best to ever do it. But the whole stat padding thing, I'm like, it's fine. Like go ahead and do it because even if he does reach the record, like I feel like he would have earned it by playing as well as he did in an era like this, you know, at some point the guy has to deserve something like that. So that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. I, I, I think, you have some merit to that argument. I do want to take a, say a couple more things. And one is that essentially over the past five, which I, I picked this five game stretch, just that the most recent five game stretch, the capitals have gone through because it's been kind of amplified throughout these past five games. The, the whole basically just passing to Ovechkin whenever they get the chance or like just sitting at Ovechkin right in front of the net so that he, so that he can get every rebound off of every goalie save. They've been able to win those five games, so to me, I say, why not keep on doing it? Like, just keep on doing what you're doing. If you're purposely getting into Alex Ovechkin, fine, and make those other fans mad. Like, make the—I mean, I'm a Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Penguins fan, dude. I can't talk right now. I'm a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. So is Matt because of our dad, and so we shouldn't really like the Capitals because they're the Penguins and the Capitals are rivals. But like. I'm 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 a fan of the game. I've always been this way. I'm a fan of the game and I love to see stuff like this happen. I love to see guys get these the, these kinds of accomplishments. And so, I wouldn't mind seeing Ovechkin scoring 30 goals a year for the next 3 years and and surpassing Wayne Gretzky, right? I think that he can play for 3 more years and on on this pace like the, if they keep on doing what they're doing recent what they've been doing recently, I think that Ovechkin will easily be able to pass Wayne Gretzky. Again, it's just a question of whether or not he's able to play and kind of avoid injury throughout those next three or so years that he has left in his career. Uh, I, I think that we could see it happen, and I think that it would be really cool to see it happen. But if you're wondering exactly how Wayne Gretzky, how good Wayne Gretzky was, and this is kind of going off topic a little bit for for the end of this topic, but just to kind of give more merit to what Matt was saying with how good Wayne Gretzky was. So if you don't, uh, if, if you don't know much about ho- much about hockey points in hockey is either a goal or, or an assist because assists are really important in hockey. And like you can, uh, you can get an assist basically by shooting the puck. And then if somebody, if it deflects off of one of your other guys, sticks, it go the goal goes to them, but you get the assist still. Um, and you get what's called a point because, 
and they they combine both assists and goals in hockey to be points because essentially goals and assists are like they're worth the same basically in hockey because they're they're both really important. So um, Wayne Gretzky in in terms of points and, and combined assists and goals has two thousand eight hundred fifty seven. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin, one thousand four hundred forty four. So basically, like like Wayne Gretzky has almost double the amount of points in his career than Al- than Alex Ovechkin did, and that's because Wayne Gretzky had. Let's see, uh, thirteen hundred more assists in his career than than Ovechkin did. So you you can see from these stats that that Ovechkin doesn't really pass. He he likes to take the shots, and almost every power play that the Capitals have, he takes a shot. Like they're they're passing to him nonstop in power plays. I, let me let me tell you, if you see a Capitals game on and you see that they have a power play, watch their power plays, and I guarantee you. Ovechkin is going to be on for the entire two minutes, and he, they're just going to be feeding him the puck in the offensive end. So that's our talk on Ovechkin. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, again, it's we've talked about Ovechkin and Gretzky in the past and like whether or not Ovechkin will be able to pass Gretzky. Again, Matt thinks that no, he won't, um, but I, I think that he will be able to. So kind of an interesting dynamic there. But that's the end of the uh, main topics for today. So you guys know what that means. We're going to move into Matt's betting locks of the week. Let me hear that cash register. Play it a couple times for me. All right. So here we go. Betting locks of the week. As I said last week, and, and I even have an addendum to make, okay? I said that I went 2-0 in the locks last week. Well, here's what I did. I told you guys on the podcast, I said to take Cincinnati, the Bengals, minus 6 over to Browns. By the time that game started, the line was minus 4. So I got 2 points less of closing line value. Shout out to you if you know what that means in betting terms. Essentially, the line went down 2 points. So I... I, I was on the wrong side of that as, as, a, as compared to how much money was coming in on either side of that, right? But it didn't matter. It didn't matter because the Bengals won by 13, okay? What was my second lock of the week, Hayden? Oh, yeah, that's right. It was the Jacksonville Jaguars plus three and a half against the Titans. And what did I say, Hayden? I said to take some Jaguars on the money line, and guess what they did, Hayden? They won the game outright, and they really, really are up by three touchdowns for most of that time. Titans scored late, but either way, it was an outright win by the Jaguars. So that was a perfect pick by me. Well, both of them were perfect pick by picks by me. I got two more for you, all right? And a third that I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of on the fence about. We got to get my locks record up, so we're going to give it out anyway. So the two picks this week, they're a little bit ugly. I will I will say, they're a little bit ugly. The first one is the New York Jets at Pickham. So the line is basically even. So you're essentially just betting a money line for the team to win because the spread is even, so there's it's not even minus one, not plus one, whatever. The Jets, to essentially just win the game against the Lions, it's in New York, it's in the Meadowlands. Well, technically, the Meadowlands is in New Jersey, but whatever. Again, this is you're going to be like, Matt, what the heck are you doing? Do you even know who the quarterback is going to be for the Jets? I think Mike White is a dog. I think this guy is going to be out there playing on – nine fractured ribs and and whatever else is going on with his spleen or something all right and he's gonna lead this team to a victory we've just talked about the lions for like 20 minutes in this podcast and how you know all the hype is all around them now they have a shot to make the playoffs for the first time in however many years forget about it the jets are the jets are kind of on that they've played two tough teams in a row in the vikings and the bills they're coming back home their defense is, is doing well. Obviously, you have Garrett Wilson, Chris uh, uh, Garrett Wilson, and, and Elijah Mitch, or Elijah Moore that are both playing very well on the outside. And here's the thing: even if they start Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco went two and one this year, so I think they're going to be fine regardless. I think the Lions are going to be in for it. They that this Jets defense is going to shut down the Lions offense. That's kind of the, my main reason for the pick. I don't know why I didn't just say that to begin with. The second one is the Commanders minus four and a half against the Giants. This this spread is ugly. The, the pick is ugly. The game is ugly. It's a Sunday night game in which you have two NFC East teams. It just, none of this seems like it should be right, and that's exactly why I'm betting on it. Okay, so take the Commanders plus or minus four and a half. The Giants are an absolute train wreck. They had a good start to the season. They were like seven and zero in one score games. They had crazy comebacks against the Packers and the Ravens. They shouldn't have won either of those games. It, it just it's it, nothing's going right, and they have no receivers. Like Daniel Jones might be pretty good, but we won't know because he can't actually throw the ball because nobody that's out there to catch the ball is actually going to do their job and catch it. Saquon Barkley, he started the season out great. He's like a fantasy darling, right? People are like, whoa, what's going on with Saquon? He's all of a sudden, you know, one of the best running backs in the league. Well, where has that been for the last ten weeks? Because I don't really know. He hasn't really performed at all. So. 
in this game, I think the Commanders, you know, their defense is all right, but I think they'll shut them down enough to be able to win this game. And on offense, the Commanders are just more talented than the Giants are. So give me the Commanders going to cover the four and a half here. My last one, I'm giving out three. I bet the Steelers and Panthers game under 38 and a half. Now, I got the number 38 and a half. It's already moved down to 37 and a half. So I'm a little bit iffy on it at that number, but I think it's still fine because even if you get like a 20 to 17 finish, you're still you're still going to win your bet because it's 37 and a half. So I think that that would still be fine. But it, this just screams under. I mean, pretty much all Pittsburgh games are under at this point. Uh, we saw again the game against the, Rave, or the Ravens this past weekend. Obviously, Kenny, Kenny Pickett went out and and Matt and Trubisky came in and threw three picks and then it's like okay well who else it they, who knows like whoever the quarterback is going to be for the Steelers they're not going to play very well the Panthers had a really great game against the Seahawks this past week they're due for a letdown spot right and they're going up against the Steelers defense which is one of the best in the league right so and a very both I think both teams want to run the ball too so that's going to bleed more clock uh you know kind of throughout the game and, and I think just lead to an overall uh, a lower scoring game this is going to be a field goal game it's going to be played very tight uh and, and I don't think I think te- I think the teams are going to go for field goals i don't think they're gonna go be going for it on fourth and eight and and scoring touchdowns on on long crazy plays um i think it's also in pittsburgh i want to say maybe it's in carolina either way um the entire northeast and really east coast is going to be hit with crazy storms like this whole weekend so uh yeah so if it's raining like goodbye it's done so those are my three locks of the week hopefully i gave gave some good analysis there too but you got the jets in a pick them against the lions you got the commanders minus four and a half in the sunday night game against the giants and then you have the steelers and panthers under 37 and a half. There you go. All right. Well, three betting locks of the week. Hopefully, we can make it five and zero oh in the past what week and a half. I guess it would be that would be that would be pretty cool. Uh, but yes, we will see if that is able to cash this coming Sunday. And maybe I'll do. I don't know. Maybe I'll do my episode like Sunday. Well, I, I guess I'd have to do it Monday in order, in order to kind of evaluate Matt's pick. So I don't know. I I probably won't do that. Well, and bl- we'll believe s- me, Hayden. Believe. Believe you this, if I go three and zero, well, even if I mean whatever I whatever my record is, I'm going to text you it so that you can update the people on the podcast whenever you do your solo episode. Okay, well, I'll be looking for it as well. But yes, Matt will text me because he will be focusing on that rather than having fun at Disney. But that's his choice. Anyway, that's going to end off the episode for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, like I said, I will be back for a solo episode at some point this weekend, probably before those games on Sunday happen. So you'll be hearing, you should hear from me before then, if not very promptly on Monday. And so that will be a fun time. Um, I don't, I'm probably going to go a little, little haywire and, and get some. I've actually already thought. I've, I've been thinking of topics that I can talk about that I can just rant on for a really long time. Um, for actually a couple of days now. So I've, I've already got some stuff brewing up in my head about what I want to do, and I'm going to get to it this weekend, you best believe. So with that being said, hope you guys have a great rest of the week and start of the weekend, and we'll catch you guys. I will catch you guys next time.